Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and uh, we're back after a little bit of a hiatus for the holiday. Had a couple of other episodes we recorded in the bag that we put out for you, and I hope you enjoyed those. But we're back with some more content and some new stuff to talk about and a new fresh new guest for us. So before we get into our guest, I always have to bring on my esteemed co-host, Sam Bradley. Hey, Sam. Hey, Jamie. Well, it's been, uh, we got some more snow last night, so it's uh, hanging around in the teens here the last few days, so it's been pretty cold. But we're we're doing good compared to Dr. Joe, who's uh, under a red thing on the uh, weather map saying that he's in kind of in trouble there, Joe. What's going on? Well, we just, we've got a... a thunderstorm coming through at the moment uh, so lots of lightning and high winds and potential for some uh, nastier weather but hopefully it'll be gone in the next hour or so well good then we'll keep you busy so we know you didn't get blown away that's you know that's not drop off it says i'll lose electricity again so well speaking of disasters uh we have daniel francis with us tonight uh who has a very interesting thing that he's doing and and it's a perspective that we haven't really touched on before we've talked about all the disaster teams that get involved and you know especially the federal teams and so forth we don't get in there for like 72 hours so what dan is involved with is a an immediate citizen level response hi joe i see your face um and that's a very different thing, and it's a very cool thing. So, Daniel, tell us a, a bit about yourself, and then tell us how D911 got started. Yeah, and thank you guys for having me on your show. It, it means a lot as we try to pioneer new ideas. This is something that's never been done before. So my, my background is a lot like yours, Sam. I was a EMT here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I specialized in special events, things like World Series events, professional baseball, large-scale concerts, and professional football events, even uh, a Super Bowl or two right here in the Atlanta area back in the day. So this would be back like 1990 90 to about 1998. And before that, as a young man, I joined Explorers, where I rode around on ambulances. You know, I got the CPR card and all that with Boy Scout Explorers up in Bramford, Connecticut, and North Bramford, Connecticut. So this has sort of been in my blood forever. As I transitioned out of that, I got into operating flat rate or concierge medical clinics with a doctor I met doing that type of thing. And we had some success and I moved on and did some other jobs in the healthcare world, mostly around clinical medicine. And I let my paramedic and stuff go. One of the biggest regrets I have, I should have never done that, but I did. And I got into business and along in 2018, Hurricane Michael came and uh, just seeing the devastation in Panama City, a place where I've vacationed my entire life uh, since a very young person, I've been down there. I was familiar with all the places we were seeing on the news. I just thought I had to do something. And I found myself one of those citizen responders. I found myself in the midst of this disaster trying to serve spaghetti to people in a place that was, you know, 95 degrees humid and destroyed. Right. So Ouch. that's how I got into it. <laughs> Well, weren't you involved in Hurricane Dorian, too? And that kind of is where the idea for the app came from. Tell us about yeah. that. Okay, so during Hurricane Dorian, as you saw that storm coming, anybody who's a weather buff, you know, we opened this up talking about weather events. And 
I think just as EMS people, we're interested in weather. It matters. It matters all in everything we do. I was watching that storm come cruising across the South Atlantic, and it seemed obvious to me that that was going to be a massive Category 5 storm. And I, as that began to happen, we got in place. We got down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where we connected to a, a group that is made up almost entirely of Navy SEALs or retired Navy SEALs, another group that was flying people in. That would be Blue Tide Marine and Tropic Ocean Airways. And we began to cook food there at the Fort Lauderdale airport that would be flown into Abaco. Eventually, I would end up over at Abaco trying to see what we can do there. And in the midst of that, we're getting sporadic phone service. Even though, if you can imagine Abaco Island, a, basically a 30-mile across sandbar and about a 25-mile swath across it that was reduced to splinters. There was no structure left until you got to that periphery where there would be some structures left. But in the middle of it, there were no structures left. They were mostly grass huts and uh, ad hoc buildings. They called an area called the mud. And if you can imagine, I know the official death count was something like 68 or 80 or 100. There were many, many, many more bodies than that. They were strewn everywhere. There were just, and nobody was doing anything about it. So an evacuation took place and it became obvious that there was a massive confusion that was, that'd be really simple. Something that DoorDash does every day, we couldn't figure out on Abaco. Something that Instacart does every day, we couldn't figure out on Abaco. We just couldn't figure out how to get the stuff they needed in the places that they need it. So relief agencies are arriving onto the island in order to provide services as an evacuation to get everyone off the island is ongoing. So now they got to turn around and head over to Nassau, to New Providence Island, and to other Bahama, Bahamian islands in order to serve these people they've come to help. Because in the end, there'd be very few people left on Abaco. And it, it, how do we connect them all together? What can we do to leverage all that happened? And, and just, I know that's a long piece, but just to add to that one thing, America is amazing. What happened there was America just launched off the east coast of Florida from Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Boca, West Palm. People in all size boats, jet skis, aircraft just went out there. They just decided to go. A massive citizen's response. You would look across the ocean and just saw hundreds of boats heading that way to help. We were on the way. America was on the way. Just the regular citizen was on the way. And we provided that evacuation. It was all done by American citizens on their own expense and time. But well, I think, it was, yeah. I was just going to say, that's why I want to talk about this, because we we haven't touched that much on the citizen response. And, you know, I can see where everybody might want to help, but, you know, there isn't an organized effort in terms of what to do or where to get supplies or any of that. And I can see that that's what you've tried to do. But, Joe, have, were you involved in any of those, Dorian or Michael? Sorry, guys, I've drawn my mute. Uh, yeah, we were we were around for all of those. Uh, and, you know, I think for us, it was a little bit different in that uh, we were um, uh, probably task forward of where Dan was. And so a little bit less opportunity to actually interact with him there um, than we might would have had otherwise. 
And Dan, in case you don't know, Joe's a USAR doc, so yeah, he's one awesome. of those. He's one of those folks like me. I'm on DMAT, so we come in later on. Um, Jamie, any questions so far? It's interesting to hear this because I mean, so often we say, you know, don't don't self don't self deploy, don't self respond. But in 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 the case of Dorian, I do remember that you know there was a lot of people with boats that just were the first ones in because no one else was able to get in that quickly from a governmental agency standpoint. And um, it's one of the few situations I remember where, you know, that type of self-deployment was necessary. I think it's also how um, like the Cajun Navy kind of came about where people just kind of neighbors helping neighbors kind of got together to help in that situation. And I think that Dorian, it was a similar situation. Would you agree, Dan? Yes, it's a it's a very similar situation, and it was not without the very chaos that emergency managers and the professional organized response fear. It was definitely there. It was dangerous. And uh, at one point in time, there were somewhere around 40 aircraft circling around Abaco. There's no air traffic control. There was no radar keeping up with these aircraft. And they're trying to figure out how to land at the Abaco airport to help get people off the island. So there were some tense moments and some close calls. This was, again, citizens that came together and solved that problem. They basically, over in Fort Lauderdale, created in the municipal area of the Fort Lauderdale airport in a small office, some of these retired military guys put together an air traffic control plan and started to execute it and bring some safety to that because they were trying to fly in with their people. They were providing security services and other things um, in the on Abaco immediately following the storm. So they were literally there within an hour or two of the storm letting up. And uh, it became very dangerous very quickly because of the chaos of the immediate citizen's response that undisciplined, unorganized, without a destination, with an unknown goal and with unknown resources, people just arrive. And that need, I, I saw an opportunity to organize that and to make that not only safe, but productive for emergency managers, and that they can be the, the situational awareness, the forward eyes, the forward ears of the professional response so they have better intelligence of what's in the theater when they get there. They can have a better idea of what's available to them, because amongst those people would be EMTs, nurses, doctors, a, a variety of skills. We just don't know who they are, and we don't know how to connect them to where they can be productive. And D911 does exactly that. And I want to talk more about the app, certainly. But first, I want to hear about you, you not only had an experience at Ian, but you um, you did you collected some data on it, which I'm sure helped you, you know, look forward to what you can do in the future. And I actually yeah. have a refugee from Ian in my house right now. Wow. Um, a lot of people had to leave the state because they're, you know, they've lost so much there. So Yes. Please, please, please tell us about that. So when I got into the area in, in the past, when I've done hurricane responses, I've been one of those citizens that's going down and setting up a bivouac kitchen and handing out food. As a business person, I could tell you that that's not always a productive or helpful thing, though it appears to be. And it's very virtuous. You know, it's nice and it feels good. It's not always the right thing. So this time I thought, how can we use the app? to find food truck owners that are otherwise out of business, that think their business is closed down, they can't do anything, 
and deploy them as food resources that are being bought so that their businesses gaining ground, they're making some money, and that the people that otherwise can't get food or don't have food um, can get it. And so I located a spot that had been flooded severely. Between four and 12 feet of water got into this area, and it was a really poor neighborhood. And anybody who's been in a disaster knows the NGOs typically don't gather around the poor neighborhoods because there's no donors there. There's there's just a, a lack of them in these underserved neighborhoods. So I found one and they hadn't seen anybody. This was about the third day after the storm. It took me a minute to organize this. And we got four food trucks that I started buying food from and delivering it into that area using the app. In this case, they had lost their cars and their devices because of the flood. They, some of these people treaded water for 10 and 11 hours out of their houses. So, you know, the survival stories were moving in their own right. And they didn't have any way to know that there was a point of distribution just 2.7 miles away. In fact, it was the Cajun Navy just down Cypress Avenue to where they from where they were, but they have no way of knowing this. So when we got in there, we started to use the app, me and two other people from a local church started to use the app as if we were like waiters at a restaurant and just went door to door, made requests for food. The people at the other end at the food trucks would make the food based on the number of requests, the meals that they got requested. And then we would go by and grab them and bring them into this area. So it started sort of an ecosystem And that's the idea. That's the idea behind the app is to create a, a manageable, organized ecosystem of relief efforts that's not entirely dependent on the independent operations of NGOs or leaning all the way into emergency managers to try to provide these services. It's not always the easiest thing for them to do infrastructure alone after Ian has their hands full. And this is a way to leverage that community response. So I partnered with a local church called Grace Villas Church, and we were able to feed this neighborhood for a number of days. Well, you, you had two different, I, I was interested in the juxtaposition of two different neighborhoods with two different sets of needs. And yeah. the one you haven't talked about is the one where they, it was less affected, but they had a driveway distribution point uh, right. that someone set up and you were able to help them with that, right? So we did some, in essence, the same thing. There was a, some of the lines at the relief points like at Cajun Navy or Global Empowerment Mission or some of the other churches that were giving things out were four, five, six hours long. And there was an effort by local emergency managers to say, please don't get out on the roads for those first couple of days. So how do you keep people from getting out on the roads, even though they need stuff and the stuff is sitting in these parking lots? Well, the idea came that we establish a neighborhood distribution point, which we found remarkably easy to do. The one featured in our case study is just one, but we ended up doing six of these in different neighborhoods. And all we did was go through the neighborhood and find that neighbor that was already doing it, get them to download the app and start making requests based on what their neighbors have going on. And then that neighbor went door to door with the things they would collect. So we got hundreds of bottles of water, hot meals, and those kind of things delivered to the neighborhood, not necessarily door to door, but to that one place. The thing about neighborhoods that weren't as severely affected is that they did, and that they're a little more affluent, is that they do have generators. They do still have their devices. They actually can do 
for themselves. They just need to get the stuff in there. And that prevents a great deal of driving around. We were even able to get uh, some of that insulin that Walmart sells that doesn't require refrigeration for 30 days in there to some diabetic patients. So all those things really made a big difference. And what we thought, what we realized in our organizational effort was that the citizen has an impact that actually is cooperative and in agreement with the disaster response model that happens. It's just obscure. And if we can just create that technology, and that's what D911 does, that technology that interconnects them into existing, immediately existing resources, they can have immediate effects that mitigate some of the concerns of emergency managers all automatically. And it's all through an intuitive idea, things that we already do to get our groceries and get food. It's designed in a restaurant format for that reason. So the operation's intuitive. So Joe, did, did you run into any of these citizens folks doing their thing or was that not transparent to you guys on the federal side? Yeah, it was it was not transparent to us, but I absolutely love this concept. You know, I, I think the real plus here is, as is so often the case with many of these things, there are there are actually a lot of resources in the area. It's just very difficult for people with a loss of communication and um, you know uh, their infrastructure to be able to put something together to make it work for them. And this solves so many different issues. It, it, it's absolutely amazing. I, again, I just kudos to this idea. It's fantastic. Thank Jamie? you, Dr. Joe. Jamie, you yeah, and I, I know, Joe, in the past that, you know, when you've worked on the IST side of things um, that you've you've seen like how the how important it has been to keep that notebook of local resources that you start collecting as soon as you get on the ground of you know this guy has um a front end loader and this guy has a little bobcat and you know this person over here has access to a warehouse full of mattresses and you know you start pulling those resources together um in, in, you know ad hoc in an ad hoc format um, this sounds very similar to that. It, it absolutely does, and, and I I love the fact that it is a ground uh, uh, grassroots effort uh, because it it doesn't actually need an awful lot in the way of administration to make it work. The people on the ground can make it work, just as Dan has described and and has done beautifully. So, again, kudos for really putting things together in a way that make them uh, not only easy to get done, but uh, inexpensive and available immediately on site to get done. Dan, one more question on that. How how did you integrate social media into this when you were, say, Ian at Ian? So we have a social media page on Facebook and Instagram. One of the things you'll find with social media, it's what I call the shattering of information. Uh, an emergency manager drops into social media and they make an announcement. Say, let's, let's take Ian. It was Lee County. They make an announcement. Three days later, that announcement of supplies available at a particular location is no longer true. It may have shifted. It may have ran out. Who knows? But it's no longer true, but it lives on in social media. 
And as it lives on, it gains feet and details that it may not have otherwise had in the comments below. People are unhappy. People are happy. It's not enough. It's too much. It's the wrong thing. And it becomes this source of dis and misinformation. It's a really difficult thing. The idea behind the app is that it would be a central single location and that emergency, the professional response, the inbound set of circumstances that comes with DMAT and the other forward teams will have access to a dashboard and they can see this stuff real time. Instead of having to go to hunt down the guy with the Bobcat, the guy with the Bobcat's already posted on here and said, hey, I got this Bobcat. If you need a Bobcat, I'm here. And they can communicate with them. So we, we're trying to mitigate that shattering of information that happens across Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, local social media, that the emergency manager has a say Facebook page and so does the county and so does the city and so does the fire department and so does the police. And it's possible, as happened in Florida, that all of them are posting sometimes juxtaposed information, but they're all so, posting in all these different places. So if Joe what comes in it, as an IST member, there could be some integration with you so there wouldn't be redundancy in trying to know where resources are, right? Correct. Oh, I think go, go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. That's okay. I was just going to say, you know, I think the idea behind that is is so good because part of the problem is that we do indeed tend to have information that lives on, and and you describe beautifully the the challenges associated with that because now it's it, it's not accurate anymore, and it's really not beneficial because it's now dated and no longer of any real, real-time value. So that's well, what the app does, is it flows that information in real time and leaves everybody a, a single place to get it. And an emergency manager can have a dashboard. So let's say your IST is on their way in, and they, they, they take a look at their quick dashboard, and they see that this neighborhood has 36 medical requests. Maybe they can focus in on that neighborhood. Hey, here's a spot where there's a lot going on. You know, they can take a look, or maybe EMS can be brought that, and they can move some of those auxiliary ambulance crews that have come in into that area to provide that non-emergency medical assessment that may be necessary. Well, in looking at your site, you you have two options for apps that can be downloaded. One is if you want to be a responder, so, yep. so something should happen in your area you know, you're willing to help out in any way you can. And then you also have a link for the folks that need services. So it's good for them to know this and to have this. So if something happens, you know, it's a good place to go. Because otherwise people just kind of spin and they go, okay, what next? Where do I get my next meal? Right. You know? They, they don't know. it. One of the most amazing things and the, the beautiful, maybe it's a, it, it may not be a part of the planning of our response to disasters or the things we think about. But when you walk up to a, a citizen responder's little bivouac kitchen, you know, serving burgers or something, and you've lost everything. And what my experience and what really motivates me is a lot of the same things that we would see in EMS is that they walk up desperate, they got a long face, they're very unsure, there's a great deal of uncertainty that's been delivered intruding into their life and you hand them a plate of pasta, and for a quick second, it melts away. For a moment, they smile and they say thank you, and that grief converts to gratitude in an instant. And I, I'm just one guy, I, I couldn't deliver that 
across all of the Michael area, you know, as one person and one small crew of people, we didn't have a giant impact in any of these disasters, but we did have significant impacts on certain individuals. And my hope was to spread that sense of relief, that moment of, I actually do have resources right here in my device. I actually can do something that, that to, to mitigate some of that despair for a moment. And that just, you know, it just is a, you, we've all looked them in the eyes. You know what I'm talking about? To watch that melt away when you show up on an accident scene, we're like, oh, good, helps here. It's the same thing that food gets or that a toilet gets. You know, they, it was hard to find porta potties around Fort Myers. It would have been great if we could have brought 20 18 wheelers in of porta potties for a week. Um, things like that can make a huge difference. And the app is intended to allow an uprising to come in. But more important than that is as the app is developing, because it's it's in its basic form right now, the idea of preparedness will be built into it. And then another thing that is like Angie's list for disasters, resilience, will be built on the other side with preloaded services, preloaded pricing, so that people can immediately start interacting with services without having to you know, put in their zip code and hope they could be coming from Macon, Georgia into Florida, or they could be coming from Chicago into Kansas after a tornado because the local resources are overwhelmed. We can then pull from all over the country those willing professionals that have skills, tools, and materials that might not be available locally and come in and start offering help because it's worth coming. And those things will be up in the next six weeks. Well, and we love the fact that one bowl of pasta can make one person happy. And that's kind of why we do what we do. It is, um, yes. You know, just any individual that benefits by us being there is what we live for. So I know, Joe, I know Joe can relate to that, right, Joe? Absolutely. You're exactly right. So, Dan, we'd love to see this grow. We'd love to hear, you know, what you're doing in the future. We'd love to get the word out on this and have more people connect with you because this is Thank just you. an awesome thing. And we have a lot of followers. Most of them are EMS and fire and, and disaster workers. So, uh, you know, we'd love to have you join our Facebook page because that way people can ask you questions directly. And Jamie will tell you more about that. But, you know, this is fascinating. And I think we're all all in on it. So we really well, appreciate you. you coming forward with us on this. I appreciate the help in getting the word out. And I'm so grateful for all my brothers and sisters in the EMS disaster response world. Uh, I have a, a kinship with you. And if I'm ever near you, you can count on me to help. And I know the same thing of you is true. It, it's the most amazing, unfamiliar family I've, I've ever experienced. Right? <laughs> I don't know any of them, but I'm sure counting on them. Yeah. Well, we need more people like you and, and you'll find them in our, our uh, Facebook site. You'll get to chat with them. We actually have an international presence there. Joe, any final thoughts for you? No, just a thank you to Dan. I, I think this is just brilliant on so many levels. I, I love the idea of trying to pull all this together and to make it one simplistic and to make it, uh, again, I hate to use that word over and over, but ground uh, grassroots, I just think that makes such a huge difference in, in, in how easy and functional these things are if they're done, if they're done that way. 
And hey, Dan, if you impress, impress Dr. Joe, you're going a long way here. <laughs> Consider hey, that a win. That's a very win. Grateful for the, very grateful for the kind words and encouragement. We, um, we anticipate this being a significant resource over time. It's, it's just getting started. We're just putting that head of steam behind it. We're well financially backed and anticipate that uh, that will be in, at some point embraced by the disaster response world, but it will take some time. And we want people to be comfortable and familiar that we are on your team. We're here just to help make it better, simpler, faster, and to bring that situational awareness that's so vital to the inbound responders and local emergency managers that they can better do their jobs and, and have greater information that's more accurate at the real time that they're making their real-time decisions. And we're happy to get that word out. Jamie? Yeah, and, and you know, we've talked a lot about this, um, Dan, but where, where can people find out more information online specifically about it? The best place is just to go to our website, which is d911.org. D, the letter D, 911.org, delta911.org, and you can learn about it there. We'll be posting updates. You can download those apps currently off of Apple, uh, the App Store on Apple or the Google Play Store. If you're in an area that there is no disaster going on, they might not show anything. Those things won't be populated. It's geographically sensitive unless something's going on. So if there's tornadoes tonight, for instance, it's possible that we get people that activate in the app in that area. We'll be trying to do that. We're awake right now in our operations center for this very storm system, pushing the idea of this app into social media pages by boosting posts in those areas that are under threat tonight. So hopefully we can be of some assistance to people. That's great. That's great to hear. And we'll definitely have links to that in the show notes for this episode. And um, thanks for reaching out to us so we could get you on the show. Grateful for the time, you guys. And thank you for all your work. Um, you know, Joe, I, I I think about all the times we talk about training and, and the opportunities that, that are offered by you all at Paragon Medical Education Group as our sponsors, but you know this is just an this is an interesting option for um, you know different ways that technology needs to be brought into the training zone as well. Uh, I completely agree, especially uh, you know without it being a big onerous undertaking uh, that is so often the case with you know many of these things they. Everybody waits for some big, you know, backbone of infrastructure to be put together. And this just gets right to the heart of the matter very quickly, gets things functional very quickly, and just has so many additional uh, values to it in that regard. It's just hard to hard to really appreciate how powerful something like this is. Where do you um, – what do you have coming up with Paragon from a training standpoint in your system? We've got uh, a uh, training happening. Well, we've got two or three pending with the military again. Uh, they're they're gotten busy again on us, uh, which is great. We're always happy to have that. Uh, and um, several other things that are pending but not yet happened. So, you know, we're just getting there. <laughs> it's slow this time of year, especially with the holidays. Yeah, that, definitely. So. Where can folks find you if they want to find out more about what you can bring to the table for them, the, the specialized um, training and, and opportunities that can be customized to a specific area's given needs? 
Uh, folks can find us at, on the web at Paragon Medical Group or on Facebook, uh, Facebook under the same name. Uh, and they can always find us through the Disaster Podcast as well. Excellent. Sam, how about you? Where can folks find you online? Well, like Joe said, uh, certainly on our Facebook group on disasterpodcast.com and on social media under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11. What about you, Jamie? Folks can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations out there. And, of course, um, don't forget to look us up in Disaster Podcast in the Facebook group. Um, if you search Disaster Podcast, I think we're the only one out there, so it'll pop right up. Um, go ahead and join the group, and um, we'll, we'll be happy to get you in there. And you can interact with our special guests that join as well. Um, we always have we always try to get them involved. So if there's a specific question you have or comment or something, you can actually tag them and bring them right into the conversation. So I hope people will join us over there. And don't forget at disasterpodcast.com, you can actually subscribe to the show for upcoming episodes and never miss one that comes out that way. So, um, Sam, I'm so glad we um, had um, Dan reach out to us uh, to come on the show. Um, you know, I always urge people that are listening to the show, if you know of someone that would be an interesting topic for us, um, you know, reach out to us either on our social media channels or um, via the comments on the Facebook or comments on the Facebook group or comments on the disasterpodcast.com page, and we can get you um, connected here for an upcoming episode. And, Dan, we'll certainly have you back um, as things grow. And, you know, I can see this growing quite a bit in the next few years. So, you know, we'll stay in touch. And when something's going on, please let us know and we'll have you back. You got it, Sam. And Jamie and Joe, thank you very much again for having me on. And what I can (laughs) I just hope Joe stays. Stay safe, Joe. You're, You're in a bad place right there. But. You know, this is all part of what we talk about all the time. Be prepared, be safe.